My name is Ted Burns, and I'm Senior Director of Political Affairs and RADPAT for the American College of Radiology Association, and I want to welcome you to our Radvocacy podcast hosted by RADPAT. Our goal with the podcast is to give you a behind-the-scenes look into the various advocacy efforts of the college, our members, and insights from political influencers here in Washington, D.C. So we're back, the Radvocacy podcast, and this is our first episode for 2024. My name is Ted Burns, and we're going to take a look back at what happened or maybe what didn't happen at the end of 2023, and then look into what we can expect this year when it comes to healthcare policies impacting radiology. And to help me with that, I have our ACR lobbying team, Josh, Rebecca, and Ashley. I hope our listeners are familiar with them, given all that they do for us on the Hill every day. So I think we're going to start off before we get into specific legislative issues that we're really closely monitoring and working on. Obviously, there's a lot of known things going on Capitol Hill. Obviously, it's an election year. But just does one of you want to kind of take a stab at giving a a general environment on the Hill? Kind of when you guys are up there in meetings and having conversations with staff and members, just the things you hear, kind of the, the overall vibe just kind of the things that are hovering over us as we're trying to execute on some of our issues. Yeah, Ted, it's uh, Josh. I'll I'll go ahead and and kick it off and have Rebecca and Ashley add in. I I think, I'm sure as everybody who follows Congress knows, certainly the slim majorities in both houses certainly affect the the speed at which things are, are being done, issues are being handled. And that certainly affects the issues that that we we'll that we deal with. Some would say that the atmosphere in, uh, on Capitol Hill is is quite toxic. I think that is a, a true statement, and I think it certainly does affect Congress's ability to pass legislation and get it to the president's desk. I think uh, lately Congress has been struggling because of these uh, slim majorities in moving very broad legislation, specifically lately appropriations bills and keeping the, uh, the federal government funding because of the, the lack of big packages, big legislative packages. Congress is also looking to address other uh, big issues such as Ukraine funding, Israel funding, uh, the border crisis, and all of those uh, issues in and of themselves have been somewhat difficult for Congress to tackle. So I think uh, our listeners should understand that kind of context when we're discussing our issues, broader Medicare or healthcare issues in moving forward, that there are some, some hurdles ahead that aren't necessarily of our own causing, and but we do our best to try and navigate through those landmines and bring attention to the issues that our members care about. I don't know if Ashley or Rebecca, if you guys have any other input or thoughts on just kind of what we're dealing with. Not that it's super unique. I mean, there's always stuff that's hovering over us, but just your general observations. I could weigh in and say that as Josh acknowledged with the appropriations process, it's always kind of looking at how things do not happen in regular order. And so we set ourselves up for you know, this positioning where there are these different landmarks 
like these dates that, you know, Congress is constantly working towards with funding the government. And so they also provide opportunities for us to try and insert some of our issues of importance into these packages, like some of our healthcare priorities. You know, there are always opportunities with the appropriations process. So that's something that I like to keep in mind as, you know, we look at how, you know, Congress is working towards the different dates. It's also opportunities for ACR priorities. And Ted, I actually reminded me, or you actually reminded me, you mentioned the fact that it's an election year, which which is a factor, and, and that does happen every two to four years, this being a presidential election year. But even this year is more unique than others in the fact that you're going to have other outside influences affecting the mood of Congress. We're going to have regular court cases, Supreme Court cases, whether or not certain candidates are, are convicted moving forward. All of those are going to have a tremendous impact, not only on the election itself, but also how Congress reacts to those factors and they're moving forward. I think probably the best way to, to kind of look at it is Congress could very easily get stuck depending on how some of these decisions and other outside factors turn. Well, and a lot of it too, we've seen at least in the past is an effort to use the House floor or the Senate floor or even committees to get involved in some messaging that they can use for their campaigns. And, you know, a little bit of gotcha, hey, let's force a vote on this issue and kind of put someone in a tough spot if they're in a tough election that they have to vote yes or no that maybe their constituents aren't going to be super happy about. So uh, those are all the things that certainly are a factor as we're trying to move forward with some of our issues. So given that backdrop, one of the many issues that we're working on right now is appropriate use criteria. And I'd be interested if one of you wants to give an update, maybe even some background for those who aren't as familiar with that issue. It's an issue that kind of was around a while ago and is kind of bringing it back and and, and kind of of walk us through that evolution, if you will, and, and kind of where we are now as we're working on it. Sure. In 2014, the college was very instrumental in passing a provision within the Protecting Access to Medicare Act, or PAMA, dealing with appropriate use criteria. And basically, the provision mandated that ordering physicians in Medicare had to consult some type of appropriate use criteria prior to ordering advanced imaging services for Medicare patients. Unfortunately, in the regulatory process, in the rulemaking process, there was some difficulty by the agencies in implementing this legislation. It's now been 10 years, and this past summer and early fall, CMS did propose and then later finalized an indefinite pause on the implementation of the PAMA AUC provisions. So the college looked at that as an, as an opportunity. The college had been working with CMS to try to lessen these hurdles, uh, these implementation hurdles, but had not gotten very far. So PAMA, I mean, uh, CMS's acknowledgement now that they are unable to uh, implement the legislation as written has given us an opportunity to go back and provide an amended language to amend the legislative language to both uh, simplify the legislation to get rid of those hurdles that CMS had encountered and also make sure that this 
program, which is valuable to patients to make sure that they get the right scan at the right time, lessen unnecessary exposure to, to radiation, and make it more convenient for patients. We thought that this would be the right time to simplify that, move it forward. And to that degree, we have been working with Congress uh, to provide them with, with the draft legislation. We have also determined that there, is, there could be significant savings attached to amending uh, the PAMA legislation. Uh, some estimates range as much as $2 billion over 10 years, which is always something that intrigues Congress to find some savings within the Medicare program as an offset to other programs that Congress may want to move forward. So we've been very busy having meetings with jurisdictional committee staff on both sides of the Hill, and we're, we're hoping to, to move forward soon. We're looking for legislative vehicles in the future that we can insert this legislation into. Uh, one kind of a legislative hurdle that we're facing right now is getting an official Congressional Budget Office score and we're hoping that we can get one of those soon to confirm the savings that we believe are associated with the legislation. And again, hopefully that will attract members of Congress and we'll be able to, uh, to amend PAMA and get this very important policy into place. Yeah, and some of that I think also goes back to our previous topic of just the overall environment on the Hill and us referencing, you know, Ukraine money and, and appropriations and budget and you know, you try to go through the Congressional Budget Office to get a score and their list is pretty long and they've got a lot of big priorities. And so how does an issue like this issue, how do we get it to have the the leverage and urgency is a challenge because of these other bigger, more visible, more pressing issues? And that's just one of the things that we're up against on this issue. Ashley, Rebecca, I don't know if you want to chime in, uh, either one of you on this issue. I know it's one that all of us are working on and, and trying to see if we can get some headway on it. I don't think so. I think Josh kind of summed it up nicely. It's something that we've obviously been working on for a long time, and we really look forward to getting the program, getting the legislative fixes to the program so that CMS can finally get it implemented. And I think the one other thing that probably goes misunderstood maybe a little bit is you know, this was what, 10 years ago. And so you look at a lot of the staff that dealt with this issue 10 years ago, not there. A lot of members who dealt with this issue, not there. And so in a lot of ways, this is almost a reintroduction of the issue, just like appropriate use criteria 101. It's not like we have a ton of folks that we're going back to on the Hill and say, oh, remember we worked really closely on this issue? And oh yeah, that was 10 years ago. That was fun. Let's do it again. It's it's kind of a reintroduction, which has its own kind of growing pains and learning curve and and trying to get buy-in again. And, and all that just takes time. And that's, you know, that's just the nature of this job. I mean, you deal with members of Congress, you finally build a relationship and then they decide to retire or they decide to not raise enough money and lose in the primary or whatever it may be. And so that's another challenge with this issue that I think probably goes unnoticed is just that we have to start from scratch a little bit and, and I think we're making headway. So with that said, kind of a similar issue, and it's kind of odd that this is the case. You know, typically a policy comes up, we push it, 
if we're fortunate enough to get it included in a legislative vehicle and then it passes, we kind of feel like, hooray, we did our job really well and we can move on to another issue. And we're talking about the appropriate use criteria being 10 years old. Hopefully this doesn't also become the case with No Surprises Act, but I'm starting to worry a little bit because obviously that was passed. And then we went through all the various court cases in Texas and had a lot of success. TMA, the Texas Medical Association, and some of the things that they were doing down there from a judicial perspective. And, you know, the implementation for this policy has really been been the problem and the concern and challenge. And and now we're still kind of, I don't want to say back at square one, but we're we're still really fighting this fight that we thought was pretty much over. Um, and so I don't know if either one of you all want to give an update on that, because that's certainly an issue that I know is pretty visible, uh, has impact for a lot of folks. Uh, obviously, is an issue that is important to us, but not just only to us, to really most all of the providers out there. So I don't know, Ashley, if you want to jump in on this or... Thanks, Ted. You're right. This was legislation passed in 2020. And so here we are, 2024, and we're still talking about it. Luckily, because the challenges have been at the regulatory level, we still have our congressional champions on our side. So we've been working with some of the key committees in the House and the Senate to ensure that the law is implemented as they intended. Both the House Ways and Means Committee and the Senate Help Committee have engaged ACR and other medical organizations in, you know, the process as, um, you know, we're trying to ensure that this law, you know, does work properly for physicians. So we've had roundtables, we've submitted, you know, additional information where they've requested it, and they've really been pressing the administration to ensure that the NSA, you know, is implemented as they intended in the original law. So you did acknowledge the court cases. These are still playing out, but we've had several wins, especially as it relates to the administrative fees in order to enter into the independent dispute resolution process. Now, these are fees that have been raised. Uh, we, we saw a $50 fee go up to $350. And, you know, that's really difficult for radiology in terms of, you know, paying that big of a fee only for a claim that might on average be $50. They really can't even use that IDR process. So when that court case challenging the fees and the batching rules for how the claims are submitted through the IDR process came down, you know, that was in favor of the medical community. So some of these regulations that have been issued have been repealed and we've seen new regulations. So we just had a final rule towards the end of last year that set that new administrative IDR to that $115. So definitely an improvement from the $350. While we liked the $50 fee much better, you know, we're happy to see like the needle move to get that $115 fee. We've seen proposed rules on the batching process. So we're still awaiting to see how that will come down when the final rule is released. But we are encouraged that the agencies are listening to the medical community. You know, we've expressed concern about how the IDR process was operating and how the batching uh, rules really were not helpful. So we've seen improvements in, in the proposed rule and hope that the final rule does reflect those improvements. So, you know, Congress is still interested in this issue. And, and you know, while it's been frustrating, I think, you know, the needle is finally starting to move in the right direction. Josh or Rebecca, would you add anything? 
The only thing I would add is that I think one of the things that's unique about the surprise billing situation and the issues that have happened surrounding implementation of that legislation is that surprise billing is technically tri-agency implementation. So HHS, the Department of Labor, and the Department of Treasury, all three kind of have a role in writing these rules and implementing, as Ashley mentioned, the legislation as Congress intended. And that's kind of unique for us, at least. Our experience is, is mostly with CMS, which is obviously under HHS, and obviously we have those in our office with you know vast amounts of experience with FDA and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and others. But this is really the first time I think we've been as involved in, in a tri-agency implementation scenario. And I think unsurprisingly, it makes things probably three times more complicated. The one thing I will say is that this is working for patients. You know, patients are no longer getting surprise bills. It's just at the, you know, dispute level process between the physicians and the insurers. That's where we're seeing the challenges. So having the court cases and having Congress, you know, still interested in ensuring that the law operates as they intended, you know, that is, you know, on our side. So while it's great for patients, it's still, you know, has some kinks to work out. And I think also to that point that taking patients out of the middle was almost, I would say, the main priority for the ACR as we were kind of working with this, you know, working with Congress to pass this legislation. And I think, you know, our other colleagues in the medical specialty world would say the same, right? Like that patients being out of the middle was a huge goal for all of us that we are happy to kind of have achieved slash be on the right path to achieving. But as Ashley mentioned, it's really the back end kind of what happens between the provider and the payer that is is really kind of in question. I think it's always kind of interesting too when you have this implementation phase and you're not happy with it. And then you're going back to the people implementing it and you're saying you're wrong. And then you're expecting and hoping for them to say, oh, you're right. We were wrong. We'll fix it. That's always not very easy for them to do. And it's not easy for us to do. But I do feel like while not at 100%, certainly, there's still a lot that we need to kind of tighten up, if you will. I feel like at least, and I think a lot of this is because of those court wins, that I feel like they have a little bit of pressure, kind of wind at their face, like, oh, we better do something here to at least show that we're being an honest broker. I think that's helped a little bit, kind of move, to your point, actually, to move the needle a little bit in our favor. It's tough to have that type of conversation because they have to really look at themselves in the mirror and say, you know what, we may have goofed on this a little bit initially. And so hopefully we can continue to have a good, honest dialogue and see if we can continue to make some improvements there. The one thing we have not talked about, which I don't know if people who are listening are probably like thrown off a little bit. We haven't forgotten. Trust me, we are pretty much consumed by it every day. And that's the Medicare cuts. And, you know, so we were talking about appropriate use criteria and how that was about 10 year battle and still going on. And then we're talking about NSA and that's almost like a four year battle and it's still going on. Well, Medicare cuts, I think it's like death taxes and Medicare cuts is like how it kind of goes. Obviously, we're still facing this issue and it's kind of got an interesting short term, long term dynamic that we're trying to 
figure out how to play on both sides of that, trying to get some immediate relief and help as well as just, I think the fatigue is so real with all the physician groups and the physicians. I think the fatigue is real on the Hill for sure. A lot of people are tired of talking about it, but we can't avoid it because it is real. And it's something that, like I said, we're, we're all consumed with. And so I don't, Rebecca, if you want to kind of jump in and give us an update, there's, there's a lot going on in a way on this front and kind of let our listeners hear kind of the latest, if you will. Sure. Thanks, Ted. I think you're right. There are a lot of people kind of tired of talking about this. I fortunately am not one of them. I love it. I nerd out fully happy to answer any questions that anybody may have. Uh, Ted, I think what you were referring to is that this sort of feels like deja vu all over again from our SGR days, right? When we are constantly coming to Congress to ask for a plus up to the conversion factor or to help ask them to help us get out of some kind of hole. But I think it's important to remember that this latest round of kind of deja vu stems from a policy in 20, that was in 2020 for implementation in 2021, that essentially there were some major changes to the fee schedule slated for 2021 as a result of uh, some outpatient code revaluation, the addition of an add-on code mostly for primary care. So in 2021, while kind of the healthcare world, everything was a dumpster fire due to COVID, you were looking at roughly a 10% reduction to the conversion factor. So ACR formed a coalition, physician and non-physician providers, and we were like, guys, this is, we cannot do this, right? This is absolutely obscene and not a cut that any of us can take, especially, first of all, ever, but be in this current environment. So Congress responded and added 3.75% to the conversion factor for 2021, and then kind of delayed implementation of that add-on code for three years. So you had, you know, the conversion factor still went down, but Congress at least helped out a little. But them making the decision in 2021 to add to the conversion factor, and that was only for one year, is sort of what kicked off the scenario where, okay, so now that 3.75 expires, and in December, we're going to be asking for something to mitigate, again, conversion factor changes, plus the subtraction of whatever congressional benefit has or congressional plus up is expiring. So if we kind of fast forward a little bit to the end of 2022, what Congress did was that they added uh, two two and a half percent for the 2023 conversion factor and 1.25 percent to the 20 for the 2024 conversion factor. So, you know, okay, that was good, right? But then when you have the proposed rule coming out for 2024, you're still looking at roughly a 3.4% reduction to the conversion factor because that G code, the add-on code for primary care that Congress had postponed implementation of in 2021, that postponement has been has expired. So that code is now live. So Again, you're looking at a roughly a 3.4% reduction to the conversion factor, which again is applicable to everyone who bills off the fee schedule, not just physicians. So that is even with, it's 3.37, even with that 1.25 that we got prior to the end of the year in 2022. So without that, it would have been even worse, right? This year after year situation is just, it's really not sustainable. And so we have been all working together to push Congress for both long and short-term reform. 
uh, we have been asking for an additional plus up to the conversion factor for 2024. Unfortunately, it did not happen prior to the end of 2023. I think there were, you know, the calendar was against us. I think there were a lot of broader political circumstances that, you know, resulted in Congress not being able to address the conversion factor for 2024. But as Ashley mentioned, I think earlier in our conversation, and Josh mentioned as well, you know, there will be lots of opportunities through shorter term kind of funding vehicles that Congress is going to be working on. So the uh, physician payment was not included in the continuing resolution that was passed on January 18th. So our next target date is the first week of March. And we will be working with our colleagues to continue to push Congress to add something to the conversion factor to help kind of give us some short-term relief for these these year-over-year cuts. Yeah, and it's tough because I think we're so used to 11th hour, end of the year, we get some relief. It's not ever perfect, but it's better than what was forecasted. But obviously, it kind of going back to your point, Rebecca, and what we talked about from the very beginning is just the environment and all these other things that are out there and how that really dictates what happens to policies like ours. And even though we feel like this is obviously not a radiology-specific issue, it's a very broad issue among all providers, and we like to feel like, hey, we're a pretty important part of this whole political process on the Hill, and, and we are. It just goes to show how many other competing issues there are and just how difficult it is to become that number one issue or that number two, number three, number, you know, the top five issues or whatever. And it just didn't happen. And so we're, we're going to keep plugging away, obviously. Um, I don't know, Ashley or Josh, if either one of you want to add some more color to, to Rebecca's very good summary as to what's happened and, and kind of where we're, where we're trying to go. The only other thing I'll, I'll add is, is, you know, Rebecca and, and Ashley continue to work unbelievably hard with regard to uh, our coalition efforts that, that we have been leading almost now for, for four years and, and that have actually produced results. We're expecting results uh, again. They just may be a, a little bit delayed. You know, one other thing that I want to also touch on really quickly, and I think we can't lose sight of this, is we do not have a ton of members of Congress who are previously from the world of being a physician. Uh, we only have a handful, maybe 10, 15. But we know that we're going to lose three for sure who are incumbent members of Congress who are not running for re-election. And those three, Larry Bouchon, Mike Burgess, and Brad Winstrup, they have been very helpful and very involved and very, you know, you can look at a glass half full and you can say, you know what, with them retiring at the end of their term, at the end of this year, maybe this is like, hey, we're going to go all out. We're going to do a kind of a legacy no matter what it takes, we want to really get a longer term Medicare fix. And, and we can look back and say, we went to Congress, we left being a provider to go to become a member of Congress. And we actually were able to make a, a difference, a long term difference. You could also look at it like if the stars don't align and we're not able to do anything more than a short term fix because it's an election year, and then you lose those three very influential physician members of Congress that can make long-term form even more difficult and challenging. 
And so it depends on, you know, if you're uh, an optimist or not, but certainly a real thing. And uh, there's going to be some shuffling within the physician member of Congress community. There's the House Republicans have a thing called the Doc Caucus, and they're trying very, very hard to continue to get visibility on this issue and the need for longer term form. But losing those three members is going to be a blow. There's no doubt about it. And uh, it's just something that, again, we have to deal with. Spend all this time and energy and Rad Pack resources to build these really good relationships. And then they, you know, we can't stop them for, um, and really can't blame them for wanting to leave. And so that that's just a dynamic that exists. Well, we've covered a decent amount of issues. And, you know, I kind of want to close with this comment and I'll leave it open for Josh, Rebecca, and Ashley to uh, add to it. But, you know, these issues that we've already discussed in, in pretty decent detail, it's not an exhaustive list by any means. There are still a whole bunch of other issues out there that we are very engaged with, working very hard on. You know, some issues are, are very new to the scene. AI is not one of these issues that's been hot for 10 years. I mean, maybe it's been more hot than I realized over the last four or five years, but for healthcare, it's becoming hotter now than it's been ever before. Uh, workforce issues are really taking the forefront now. Uh, we hear a lot of uh, other physician organizations talking about it. I know it's a really big priority for the ACR coming up, uh, a lot of concerns. And then uh, kind of working on the workforce issue is the GME issue and, and making sure that we get enough residency slots and things of that nature. So Again, I don't know if any of you three want to reference any of those issues in particular in, in just a, a quick summary or not, but I think it's important for our listeners to know that, you know, we're not just working on one or two or three issues. We're working on, you know, five, six, seven, eight issues pretty much all at the same time. Um, and they all have their own nuance and they all have their own, you know, unique dynamics. Yeah, Ted, I'll, I'll jump in first and, and chat a little bit about AI. Uh, I think you kind of couched it correctly. It, it is something that is quickly coming to the forefront congressionally. The ACR specifically has been working with federal agencies for several years on uh, AI algorithms and uh, what, what policies maybe need to be shaped within the regulatory sphere. But AI, is, as I mentioned before, is quickly coming to the forefront of, of congressional issues. To that end, I know that we've been working as a GR department to try and make sure that Congress is aware of all the, uh, the prior work that we've been doing with the agencies and that we can serve as a, a resource, a reliable, very educated resource moving forward when they delve into the policy arena, if you will. And I think that's already happening. I think some of our listeners will, will know that on the Senate side, Senator Schumer has established a, a panel of senators to, uh, to kind of start looking into various aspects of, of AI and where the government really needs to intercede. Uh, the House has set up uh, similar panels. Also to that end, we have been at least initially successful in getting ACR members who are very well adept at AI in front of these uh, uh, initial panels. We had a seminar for staff in December with regard to making sure that pediatric considerations are made when developing AI software, that they can't just be that adult 
uh, algorithms can't just be translated into uh, pediatric algorithms. We also have been asked and hopefully will testify in front of the Senate Finance Committee on AI and healthcare. And then there also is discussion on the House side of a, uh, a, a roundtable of congressional members of the Ways and Means Committee that, that will be exploring AI and healthcare. And we have been in discussions with those committees uh, trying to, to see if we can provide uh, an ACR member uh, to help Congress as they explore policy aspects of AI and healthcare. Well, look, I, I think that's a pretty good summary, Josh, and I appreciate your adding on to that, particularly with uh, AI. And like I said, the workforce issue and, and the GME issues are issues that we're monitoring. There's some active legislation that we're looking into and making sure that we, we track that pretty aggressively and continue to educate members of Congress on how those issues are uh, related to radiology. Traditionally on our podcast, we kind of end it with a lightning round and, you know, what's your favorite food? Where's your favorite place to travel and all that. But because you guys are repeat guests and I assume our listeners probably listen to our podcast over and over and over again, they know probably at nauseum what your favorite foods and and travel preferences are. So I don't think we're going to do that this time around. Plus I'm sure when we're done this podcast, you guys are going to get ready to hop on about three or four more conference calls (laughs) to discuss all these issues that we're currently working on. So I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I want to thank each of you three. You know, obviously uh, we've all been working together for quite a while and uh, we've got a, a pretty good team here and look forward to seeing you all uh, a lot more this year in person and uh, look forward to continuing to produce some results that hopefully we feel will, will benefit not just our members, but most importantly, the patients that they are working hard to help. So thank you guys for your participation, your input, your expertise, your hard work, everything that you all do for us. It's a pleasure working with you and and being friends with you. So have a great day and we'll see each other very soon. Take care. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Ted. Bye guys.